Hey, 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 welcome back to the Phil Dreisel Show. I am back from a week's break with my wife's family, which was wonderful, amazing time of relaxation and uh, lots of intense conversations, uh, a good mix. Um, I needed a couple of days break from my holiday by the end of it. It, it was so much socialization and fun and, and all sorts of great stuff. Um, but I am Really excited to be back. I just had a great conversation with today's guest, Julie, from But Why Do You Believe That? Um, I am still struggling a lot with my health, um, and so um, I'm doing my best to keep on top of Instagram, try and DM with people as, as you need to chat with me. Um, I've been uh, semi-active on our Discords, private community chat. We've been doing some audio chats. We've got an upcoming Zoom um, and so I'm, I'm doing what I can, um, but I'm trying to prioritize looking after myself right now. Um, and so if you are noticing that I've been a little less active this month, um, give or take a bit more than that, actually, maybe um, that's why is, is my health is still not great. I've, I've got some more tests to run next week, which um, hopefully will um, bring a bit more clarity and, and we'll see how we go. Um, right. Uh, what, are we, what are we doing? Who are we doing today? We've got... Julie from But Why Do You Believe That? And I'm really excited to dive into that and introduce you to Julie. Before we do, um, you can join our online private community for all patrons um, by supporting what I do. Everything I do is for free and your generosity in supporting that makes a huge difference. It allows me to do this full time. Um, and do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're going through deconstruction, if you're um, isolated, if you feel lonely, if you've lost friends, family, community, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource that helps you connect with other people locally that are going through deconstruction as well. Um, and so do check that out. It, it, it's well worth doing. All right, that's enough from me. Let's dive into the conversation with Julie. There we go. Oh. How's it, how's it going? It's good. How about you? Yeah, good. It's been a... Um, yeah, I just had a week off. I was with my uh, in-laws for a week and like extended in-laws. So there was like 16 of us, uh, which was like oh just goodness. weird after like, that's basically the first time properly socializing with more than like two people in like 18 months, basically. So um, I've probably it's seen kind a of few occasionally, but yeah, it's, it was a lot. Um, so we got back yesterday and I'm back into the swing of things, but yeah, it's it's nice to just have a one-on-one -on -one chat and not have a hundred people and crowds everywhere and masks everywhere and yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> How are you? For sure. Oh, I'm I'm good. Just just uh, chugging along. I I don't know if you saw. I put on Instagram like a week or so ago that I'm expecting. So I'm. Oh, you are. Like, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm starting to to grow a lot so I'm just like trying to rest and like yeah. take it easy and so yeah a whole new journey for sure <laughs> wow yeah for sure that's a that's a big change big big change yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> wow awesome that's that's amazing how far along are you um I'm 25 weeks now okay so there's 15 more left <laughs> yes you're a good chunk in yeah, it's going a lot faster uh, than I thought. It's like, oh, you got nine months, like it'll be fine. And then it's like, oh, it's, it kind of sneaks up on you a little bit. So, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, wonderful. Awesome. How's things going? Otherwise, you enjoying life? You managing to do all right? Yeah, things are 
definitely feeling more normal around here, uh, which is like good, but also weird. Um, Mm -hmm. And still kind of like, are we really like out of it enough yet to be doing some of this stuff? (laughs) Um, uh, Because I'm I'm in Indiana and a couple weeks or a week ago, we had the 500, which is like the largest social Mm -hmm. event that's been hosted since the start of the pandemic. There were like 135,000 people there. Uh, Wow. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, this is making me nervous. So I'm, I'm hoping in the next week or two we won't see a huge climb huge in cases. Spike. But yeah, they, I definitely resonate with the, you know, you're you're going back with your family and there's lots of people and it's like, ooh, like even though it's like okay, it's like I just haven't seen this many people or talked to this many people right. yeah, yeah, in yeah. person in a long time, and it's kind of like overwhelming <laughs> yeah I, I feel like I'm learning to socialize again in a lot of ways yeah. I just I have so much more social anxiety um I just sure. get way too, more tired really quickly um so like hanging out with people for a few hours and I'm like oh my gosh I need a nap and it's like two in the <laughs> afternoon like I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't do naps like and like so this is more than I'm enough like, a couple okay. hours <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I I hid away a little in my room occasionally and just kind of read a book or something but yeah, it's, it's 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 exciting as well, though, right? I mean, it's exciting the the prospect of some normality. Um, yeah, For uh, sure. that's going to be great. So, yeah, cool. Are you excited to do podcasts? Oh, I'm so excited! Yeah, wonderful. I've, wow. uh, you were like one of the first people I found, like over, just over a year ago. So this feels really awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited! I loved our chat we had on Instagram Live. That must have been yeah, gosh, a long time ago now. Like I don't know. Yeah. Seven, eight months. I mean, it feels like a long time ago. Maybe it was like two months. I, I don't know. It Everything feels like a while ago. One. But yeah. Yeah. No. So I'm excited. I was saying to my wife and she's like, oh, who's this person you're you're, um, you're having on? And I was like, oh, we had a great chat. We got on like really well. So I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. But actually, I don't really know. Um, I'm like, <laughs> we talk on Instagram a bit. I follow her. Uh, but like, yeah, I don't know. So I'm excited to get to know you more and, and kind of yeah. unpack some of your story. And then who knows where we'll go. We'll, we'll just see um what happens and, and where it goes but uh how are you doing for time are you you okay what kind of time do you need to be kind of yeah. wrapping up yeah I'm good for like an hour and a half or so a little longer great perfect yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll aim for that and see how we go okay um, that sounds good but wonderful cool well Julie thank you I, I really appreciate you making the time um especially a longer podcast I know my podcast a lot of people are like really I have to find two <laughs> hours or an hour and a half to talk to someone um, so I appreciate you coming on and uh being willing to ramble with me about all sorts of wonderful things but um for people that aren't familiar with you you run an incredible account but why do you believe that um you're over on Twitter you're on Instagram I see much more of your Instagram stuff because that's where I live um yes. but who are you like what caused you to start that episode, uh, that uh, Instagram account, right? Because people don't start an Instagram account sure. talking about deconstruction without some sort of story behind that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started deconstructing a little over a year ago. Um, I have, have been born and raised in Indiana, conservative little um, Indiana. And um, I shared a little bit of my earlier journey on the postmodern fish podcast a little bit ago. So I won't dive in too much to that, but, um, I started to share some of my deconstruction journey on my personal account. 
um, about a year ago and mm. quickly found out that was not a good idea. Uh, I was getting a lot of, um, not, you know, not even just like constructive or, you know, thoughtful questioning. It was just, there were some hateful uh, comments that I, you know, perhaps myself one day would have said the same thing too. So mm. I didn't want to be too critical, but uh, I, I quickly found out it was not the right place for me to share what I was going through. There were people that I hadn't talked to though in like 10 years and they were like, oh my gosh, me too. Like I'm going wow. through something like this. And so that was really, really great and powerful. But uh, so, yeah, I think it was after I shared a post about purity culture, uh, it was over. Uh, so I, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I gotta like have some separation here. Um, and just so that it feels a little bit safer and more welcoming for me to try mm. to explore this wild journey. Um, so yeah, but why do you believe that was born from that and just kind of kept it up and like, it just, it's such a journey. I, I don't know how long I thought it would, would take, uh, to deconstruct, but I feel like it would like in the beginning, I thought it would be pretty quick. Like, Oh, like <laughs> I'm going to figure this out, you know, like in a couple of months, it'll be fine. And then maybe it was your podcast. Some, I listened to a podcast where somebody had been deconstructing for like two decades or something. Oh, gosh. And I was like, oh, no. Uh -oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, like, especially if you're like a couple months in, that's like, that sounds so daunting, um, which I do think like you're never totally finished. But I also sure. think I've reached a point where I'm a lot more comfortable um, and not so much existential dread like there was in the beginning yes. when you're like, it's like a lot of grief, I think. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll talk to me about it. Like, what, what do you think were some of the key kind of components that helped you shift from kind of being in that place of existential dread, grief, um, whatever it might be, like a whole host of different emotions and feelings that were not pleasant into a place now where even if you've not, quote unquote, finished the process or, sure. or you still feel like you're still kind of figuring things out, you feel more peace, more comfort. Um, what were some of the key kind of, dominoes that sort of got pushed over that kind of started that shift from one place to another Ooh, that's such a good question and I wish it was an easy answer like oh just do like of these course, things right? <laughs> <laughs> and like you'll feel better um I think for me it was a lot of therapy honestly mm -hmm. helped so much because I think sometimes when we're deconstructing we like to think it's just about religion it's just about this experience I had but it's really how your religious experiences um, have built upon your life experiences and how yeah. you were raised and what it you know, was like in your home or um, all those different things coming together. So I think that was really helpful for me uh, was doing therapy for the first time in my life too. So I feel like I had mm. some catching up to do. I definitely could have done therapy earlier in my life. Uh, right. but, but so that was really big. And I think after a certain amount of time, um, the dread just started to fade. And I think a lot of that came from letting go of biblical inerrancy and mm. actually like critically thinking about the Bible and what I was reading and yeah, letting hell kind of die was mm. pretty big or even just getting to the place of hell could be real. I don't think so. Like, you know, versus before it was like, if you do these things, you're going to burn forever. So right. yeah, even yeah. just switching that from like, oh, like it could be, I don't think so, but like 
I mean, even if hell is real, if it's the way I was described in evangelicalism, like I would rather be in hell, you know, to be honest, than be in heaven in that scenario. So I think coming into a place where I'm more comfortable with myself, able to use my critical thinking skills, and also just, you know, if God is real, what are their characteristics? And do I think that that's what a loving God would do? And if I've seen humans love better than that, surely God ought to be more loving. That's kind of where I landed. Where God hasn't, right? Yeah, I'm like, there's no, like, like if God's real and, like, there is this superior being, there's, like, absolutely no way, like, I can see humans behave in a more loving, forgiving, <laughs> like, empathetic way. <laughs> like, that just doesn't make sense. Right. And, and there is a component as well, uh, for me, that as I processed that, and I even had in the back of my mind, there was an option of, like, well, he might not be as good as I am. There's almost this thing that says, well, fuck that God then. Let him burn me in hell because I'm not going to be less moral, less open, less loving, less inclusive to please some crazy monster God. Like, screw that. Like, burn me in hell with homosexuals, with the, uh, with the, I don't know, people that go to church while they have their periods with, you know, like (laughs) people that pull a donkey out of a hole on a Saturday, like whatever, you know, weird um, systems with tattoos, burn me with them. Like I'm, I'm going to lump in with them. Screw that God. Like, it's a really weird development that like people seem to often go on of like letting go of like how loosening the grips on that, I think is probably one of the most important stages because it's probably one of the most harrowing points. Um, I can't remember whose account it was the other day, but someone, um, uh, someone posted and said, could you give me your top questions about uh, deconstruction? And we're going to share your, your questions and talk about it. I think it's a new account. Might be one called rhetorical questions. Anyway, put that to the side. Um, I think I have a DM from them that I've not replied to because I'm terrible. But um, <laughs> they're like getting people to say, what are your questions? And we'll post them and we'll just see what people who deconstruct are asking. And they they said that over 50%, and again, it might not be this account, but they said over 50% of people that submitted questions, they were about hell. And you're like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure that probably doesn't sure. surprise you too much because you've read the DMs too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's a huge deal. And there's a component of if it is an all or nothing, black or white, if I'm wrong, I'm going to burn in hell forever. If I just stay in Christianity, I'm going to be good. That's a really horrible, uncomfortable, rock and hard place for most people that start to deconstruct because they can't hold on to the faith they had, but they really don't want to burn in hell forever, you know? Um, right. So I think, tipping um that that kind of like sacred cow starting to erode it even if it's a oh there's other beliefs and actually jews didn't even believe that and actually many christians (laughs) in history didn't believe that so we can at least go huh there's some ambiguity there's maybe some other options just having that understanding just suddenly takes a little bit of weight off um and i've noticed a lot more people navigate deconstruction well if while they're still in a fundamental place they come to a fundamentally different view of hell um and so what i found a lot is a lot of people because that's one of the first questions but they're still very fundamental in their early deconstruction Mm -hmm. they're still going well what's the right answer they'll study Mm -hmm. hell and they'll start to go well this is bullshit like that's crazy that we all (laughs) believe that when there's all these other options and other options are there's better options for a better god Um, and so they end up becoming like christian universalists or ultimate reconciliation Mm -hmm. And then 
when their fundament their fundamental back uh, plan B is well, God's all good anyway, and we'll be fine. Suddenly, there's this peace if they do become agnostic, atheist, or something like that. That even the Christianity that's hanging over them is a lot more kind, a lot more gracious, a lot more loving. Um, and it's really interesting to me that dynamic. It almost makes me want to unethically push people to believe a certain thing about hell before they really get underway with their deconstruction, um, uh -huh. which I don't do. But uh, it's it's just really fascinating um, that it's it such is. a big deal. Um, hell, I think and yeah. That speaks to as well how traumatizing hell doctrine can be for people. Yeah. It's like if that's what half the people are asking, which I mean, if you know you or I asked that too on our accounts, that would not be surprising as like no. what was one of the first things you had to deconstruct? Like that wouldn't be shocking. Um no. but I think that just speaks to how powerful fear is in our bodies when mm. we think about hell. And like a lot of us heard that message for the first time when we were like five or ten like which is super young to think about right. something so horrifying so yeah i think a lot of us underestimate the impact that's like oh like you know you're just talking to christians there's like there's heaven and hell and blah blah, blah. it's like no but like hell is like a really it's big deal and it's really intense. terrifying like cool it's like you hope you get to heaven like that's great but still i think you know naturally we focus on the negative or mm -hmm scarier thing probably has a survival mechanism uh and so a lot of us have a lot more mental energy spent thinking about hell than we do thinking about heaven which i think is why it's such a big deal mm. but looking back to at um the like original scriptures and learning like gehenna for the first time or like words i'm like i just had no idea what i was talking about so right. that was part to like intellectually going through some of the meaning behind the scriptures, I think really helped me move from that place of dread to a place of even just uncertainty. Like, and, and yeah. you know, I kind of feel like that's how it is. Like you can't just become uncertain right away. At first it's just like, like death and grief and dread. And then it's like, okay, uncertainty, which is still super uncomfortable. Right. But Absolutely. A little less so than, you know, existential dread 24 <laughs> seven. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think honestly, um, so there's so many different metrics of how we measure people's maturity and development in spiritual and emotional metrics. And almost all of them result in people living with less certainty as they develop and grow mm. up. Um, and so it's really fascinating to me, even things like um, faith development models like um, James Fowler's or uh, the uh, religious faith, uh, a revised faith development system. Uh, scale um they all as a big factor measure how uncertain is this person because the more fundamental the more absolute the more black and white this person is they would consider and what's interesting is the developers of both these models um are uh generally speaking uh in line with christianity uh, to some degree or not i'm sure a lot of christians wouldn't like what they believed um but they would say one of the main metrics of poor developed faith or immature faith is to be certain about things and to be black and white about things which is funny because most of us came from that world mm. where everyone mm -hmm. was certain everyone was black and white we were certain and we were black and white and it's interesting now that we're starting to see that development it's like oh when you see these models laid out and people go well yeah when you grow up when you mature you're going to become less certain you, these black and white things that you used to believe were absolute are going to start um, becoming very weak it's very reassuring in a lot of ways you're like 
oh, mm-hmm. I'm just growing up. I'm not, you know, the, the language the church uses is like backsliding. It's like, right. you know, re, you know, all these negative words, <laughs> but actually it's quite a positive word growing. You know, I mean, that's, that's a really, I would love to know that I'm growing and that I'm not like shrinking and dying and, you know, burning to a crisp or whatever everyone else thinks I'm doing. Um, but yeah. Do, do you think, um, what do you think was sort of helpful for you in transitioning out of kind of those fundamental knowledges and starting to accept uncertainty because i think like take hell for example right you, you believe that everyone's going to burn in hell forever if they don't pray the prayer everyone's going to heaven mm-hmm. forever if they do pray the prayer roughly broad strokes that's maybe what we grew up in and then you go okay hold on what gehenna means that or wait what age means this or you know forever means something else eternal doesn't mean that you know you start to open it up and you go wait matthew clearly believed something different than paul about the afterlife wait jesus doesn't even really talk about it or address it he just kind of talks around it and ignores it um you know start tearing that open but the whole time you're doing that you're you're doing it with the intent of going so i'm going to figure out what is really true about hell what's really true about heaven it's not let's make this a really uncertain thing right it's it's in the pursuit of finding the right answer that you suddenly realize it's uncertain and in a sense it almost makes it worse um, because at least if, if it was just certain, would well, I go to hell if I do this, you can measure that up and go, okay, well, I, maybe I'll just lie to myself and stay in, or maybe I just have to accept that I'm going to hell. But the thing of like, well, nobody really knows. No, no one knows what's after this. Mm-hmm. Like we've, you know, every religion has near-death experience stories and they all tell a different story. And, you know, I can't just listen to the kid from, um, you know, uh, heaven is real or whatever. I can't just listen to that one story. <laughs> ended up being millions fake, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I, I, I certainly one of them, one of them recently fake, yeah. was fake. Yeah. Um, but that's a horrible, horrible sort of stage um, because you're not just going through grief. You're not just going through um, rejection of friends and, and fear. You're also going through a thing of like, I don't know what I believe. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is to believe. How did you navigate that kind of process? And, and I guess what's interesting is you kind of did that publicly on some level as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's really hard to do. I think leaving the fundamental thinking is really difficult. I actually just posted about that today because even if you deconstruct a lot of the beliefs that you were given, you know, perhaps in Christianity, you can still be a very fundamental person. You just switch what you're believing about. And um, that can be really difficult to let go of. It's like sometimes you can deconstruct the, you know, you can deconstruct hell or purity culture or these things. But if you don't change the way you think about, you know, life or problems in general, it can still become a very fundamental, certain unhealthy viewpoint. Mm. So in the beginning, yeah, like you said, it can be really hard because uncertainty is not something most of us leaving, you know, Christianity are familiar with mm. or deconstructing it because, you know, we're, we're told very specific things. Like you said, like if you pray the prayer, like you're going to go to heaven. And so embracing that, or I'll say I did not do a good job of embracing that at first, but then <laughs> <laughs> once I did enough digging and, you know, found that there wasn't a specific answer, then it was like, oh, actually, I love that there's not a specific answer because anybody who claims to know 
exactly what mm. the answer is, whether or not they're well-intended is lying to you. Nobody yep. knows what happens when we die. You know, nobody knows for sure if God is there. Nobody knows for sure a lot of the things we were taught. And so I found great comfort in that once I got to a mm. point where I, you know, accepted what I was going through and that, you know, my way of thinking and my, you know, relationship with religion wasn't going to be the same. It mm. was like, oh, this is actually really comforting because nobody knows some of us are just better at fooling ourselves than others. <laughs> <laughs> I was really good at fooling yeah, myself yeah. for a long period of time. Oh, absolutely. So, I was a pro, absolute pro. <laughs> right. Cause you kind of have to be, cause that's what keeps you in and keeps you in the loop and it keeps other people coming is selling that certainty because I think it comes back to, you know, a lot, you talk about spiral dynamics and when you're in that, you know, which we all want safety and security, but when you're in that, you know, specific stage where you really just want safety, security, you want, this is what I'm supposed to do, then that's very comforting to you psychologically. So you're gonna keep doing it and, you know, until, something happens that causes you to deconstruct and totally <laughs> uh, backslide as they would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's it. Right. I mean, it makes you feel safe. It does make you feel certain. It makes you feel secure. Those are really nice and, and important things and essential things for any human to feel on some level. Hopefully mm-hmm. we, we start to build on that and start to realize that we can feel safe and certain and secure in new and more evolved and enlightened ways, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's it's it it is a really lovely, comforting um, nest that we have to leave one way or another. And I think I love that you mentioned spiral dynamics because I do think it's it's a broader thing that's happening. Like you said right mm-hmm. at the beginning with the therapy, right? You know, it's like, hey, you're going through this in religion, and this might be the biggest area you're seeing it and in you're noticing it because religion might have been your whole world it's your circle of friends it's your family it's what you do three times a week or eight times a week or once a week or whatever you're you're doing <laughs> you know you're reading the bible you're praying you know you're talking to god throughout the day you're listening to worship music in your car so that's a huge kind of sphere in which you notice this kind of development that's going on but it's not the only thing going on in moving right. out of that that traditional conventional stage into modern and individualistic stage you're starting to develop Um, more autonomy thinking for yourself trying to figure out who you want to give authority in your life rather than just receiving an authority figure at at their words um as dictated by god or your parents or whoever um you know these processes are much broader as you start to die it affects your politics it affects your social outlook it affects how you want to live your life affects your marriage and how you think about relationships it it's so broad um and i think in some ways we can get distracted by religious de- deconstruction in a sense and fail to realize that something bigger is going on. Um, d- can you talk to that? Cause I, I feel like with you mentioning your therapy mentioning it was much more to it than just your religious beliefs and religion. Like did, what else was changing for you in that season? What else kind of like, were you kind of unraveling and processing And was that as difficult as, you know, deconstructing your faith? Were you deconstructing other things as well in that season? Yeah, I think naturally a lot of other things fall into the deconstruction bucket, uh, whether we're ready for them to or not. Right. Um, I think religion was probably the hard, at least in the beginning, the hardest part for me because 
uh, I was that person that listened to worship music in the car, tried to pray without ceasing. Like I tried to do all those things. I also, you know, deconstructed kind of my self-worth, which had a lot to do with Christianity because I had a lot of poor self-worth related to the messages I received, you know, that I was Mm. evil and bad. But I also think there's a component culturally and um, in the career space, you know, like with the capitalistic mindset of like, do more, work more, you'll be better, you know, Mm. higher position, higher salary is better. Deconstructed that kind of at the same time because I was working through a job search um, as all this was starting to unravel. Oh, wow. And um, I think it can it can definitely um, affect lots of other parts of your life. I think, you know, you mentioned marriage too. And before deconstruction, I only really looked through marriage with a Christian lens because that's kind of how, sure. you know, the church taught. And I think I've opened my eyes a lot to, oh, like marriage means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it's not, mm. you know, black and white. It's not, um, you know, even of course, deconstructing, um, becoming LGBTQ affirming was really important, but even, um, beyond that too, and looking at how do you relate to one another? Um, what are the boundaries in your marriage? Um, like learning that people were like voluntarily polyamorous, uh, was Mm. like new information. So like there's so much to deconstruct. And I think politics played a big part in that too, because, um, the relationship for me was very confusing. What were growing up in a very conservative area? What was the church? What was, you know, the conservative area I was in? Right. Um, and because my family wasn't particularly religious, but um, was very conservative politically. Okay. So it was like really reinforced a lot of the teachings I was being taught. And so it was like mm-hmm. that definitely. Uh, was a part of my deconstruction too, was like looking at that. And that can be very difficult when we're talking about deconstructing fundamentalist thinking to not just flip to the other side, right? Yeah. Because you've got these set of beliefs um, and it's, you know, oh, well, like, you know, we believe this side is doing much less harm. So I'm going to fundamentally go over there. It's like, oh, well, I'm kind of missing the point if I'm going to be 100% certain about, Mm. you know, what this political party is believing. So yeah, it really uh, ended up affecting like every part of how I operate and also realizing, you know, at the time I was 27 and realizing I don't know who I am at all. I, I've been fed all these beliefs. I've been shaped by, um, you know, the culture and you know, not only capitalism, but like diet culture and, you know, body image, um, Mm. all that really affected me too. And really tied in with the, um, like your body's a temple message at church. And so it was like this huge messy cluster of, you know, growing up in the like late nineties, early two thousands. Right. And combining all that is really interesting. And I think, like you said, like it goes beyond religion. Um, and for a lot of us, it's hard to understand at first because religion frames the way we see everything when we're yeah. indoctrinated. But then when you're able to like take a step back and say, oh, like it was all these things together that, you know, formed me. And so 
Yeah, it was, it's been, it was a wild year. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sounds it, like, for sure. I mean, a year is not a long time. I mean, here we are, we're kind of no. mid-2021, which is mental to me. I'm, like, trying to get my head around the fact we're halfway through. Um, I know. And we still have barely been outside. Um, <laughs> but we're mid-2021, so you're starting your deconstruction somewhere in the midst of 2020. Like, mm-hmm. do you think it was largely influenced by pandemic like like talk to me about how what sort of um key components kind of sparked it for you like what what was was it political was it you know certain things that you were thinking about regarding theology like you know it's different for everyone but like i feel like you did deconstruct it in a very interesting time um absolutely a weird time where everyone has a lot more time to think about things there's a lot more (laughs) external pressure there's a lot less social pressure but kind of more social pressure at the same time and yeah and you like lose all those coping mechanisms like you can't just go out to a restaurant with some friends it's like oh like stuck here just Um, me and my thoughts yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah um so yeah it's been quite a year i would say the pandemic gave me um a break from church that Mm. i didn't know i needed obviously you know, now I can say it's pretty clear since I've deconstructed a lot since a year ago, but I finally got space physically from the church that I didn't know I needed. Mm. And I didn't guilt myself into going because you could not go. Uh, (laughs) So I don't think I appreciated the um, need I, I really had to need some space from the church because I think I'd had come really close to deconstructing many times in my life, but going back, being in that environment, listening to the music, getting that like music high and, you know, seeing people, which is great. I mean, the community is great. Like that's like what everybody says when they leave is like the worst part. Um, But having that distance was so healthy for me. It gave me a lot of space to think, um, but yeah, at times too much space to think since there was, you know, nothing else we could be doing. Um, but I was all, also a frontline healthcare worker and that was really quite a journey. Um, you know, it brought me a totally different perspective than like a lot of people in my life and in my Christian circle. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, George Floyd was murdered and that was really, um, it was a, a lot that got me thinking about sy- systems and systemic racism and led me to more, you know, thinking about the church as a system. Mm. And it, you know, it all kind of, it came together in this horrible, um, but important cluster in my life where all these different things were happening at the same time. Um and set up, you know, just the perfect environment for somebody to deconstruct way too much time on my hands. Can't yeah. do anything else but think. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot, but I'm, I'm glad it's over, I guess, that part at least. Because, that, mm. yeah, for anyone who's listening that's in the beginning, like, it's rough. Like, it's hard in the beginning, especially it if really you're is. still in, like, a pandemic area where... I mean, it's still a pandemic everywhere, let's be clear, but it's pretty pretty open uh, <laughs> where I'm at. Um, but yeah, if you you don't have those coping mechanisms you used to have, like, mm. you know, it can be it can be really difficult. And I see why there was such 
an increase in the need for mental health services. Yeah. Um, in the last year, not that everybody deconstructed last year, but you know, there's a, there's a lot that I think people got to think about um, in that yeah. slowing down time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine it sparked a lot of growth in a lot of ways, whether people explicitly started to deconstruct their faith or not. I, I imagine most people have come out of this season in some way, shape or form change. Um, Absolutely. Who, who knows? Um, yeah. I think it's really interesting dynamic, the kind of like forced um, break from churches um, because yeah. it's certainly something I've seen again and again in different people um, that I work with. You know, you, you talk to them, you, you Skype them, you talk on DM or whatever, and and they're talking about this painful experience with church. You know, maybe they mm-hmm. have been um, abused, maybe physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe it's just not the most healthy place. Maybe they're quite easily triggered by certain theologies or mm-hmm. whatever. Maybe they keep going back trying to, you know, receive love and, and, and acceptance but they're actually just getting rejection or whatever and yet certain people just can't break that cycle it, it, it's yeah. really similar i've been working on a post for like about a year now comparing um trying to leave the church to trying to leave domestic uh abusive kind of uh situations yeah. and there's different metrics that really correlate very well but i'm really struggling to put it in a well worded way so um, it'll come out one day and everyone will be like god that was not worth a year phil you shouldn't have bothered working on that <laughs> um, but it, it really is fascinating because i've got i've had friends that have been in domestic abusive kind of um situations and it's it's such a surreal thing from the outside watching people that are in a really destructive toxic relationship come out and suddenly be awake and go oh my gosh that's a terrible environment it's the worst thing what was i doing Mm -hmm. gosh never let me go back there and then you blink and they're back in it and you go what are you doing and they're like oh it was you know um she wasn't that bad or he he, you know he didn't really hit me that hard or, or whatever kind of wild kind of statements come out and you're like i just don't understand how this is happening again and of course that's always going to be hard for anyone that isn't in the situation to kind of get in the mind of someone that is doing that. That is what they find safety and security and control in for whatever reason, you know, um, and, and there's no blame there, but there's obviously some unhealthy dynamics that we need to resolve so people can be free and happy and healthy. And it's almost identical with people leaving church. You know, so many people that say I'm done. This is not healthy. That theology is awful. Or that pastor is just hurting people. Or that leadership structure is just so systemically racist. I can't be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And yet, a couple of Sundays off, and you start going, "Gosh, I miss people, and I would like to, you know, maybe if I went back, we could change things from the inside." And you go back and you work on it for a few months, but you only just get beaten up in the process. And I'm not saying you can't change things from the inside. Some people do, maybe. Um, but most people end up getting beat up and just thrown around and they just feel like, oh, I tried to change everything and I feel 10 times worse and they leave. Mm-hmm. And then they go back again because, well, you know, not everyone in the church is bad. It's just really like the leadership structure. But I, all those people were my friends and I love them. And, it, you know, it's this back and forth, back and forth that just isn't there in the pandemic, right? Because the thing that we yeah. keep coming back for is probably the one thing we can't really do over Zoom right? We could do the worship and the sermon, but no one tends to go back to this kind of abusive environment that that is church for them. Again, not all churches are abusive, right? But for them, no one goes back to it for, oh gosh, but I really miss listening to a sermon. 
because they could, they got a podcaster, right? You know, I mean, you can go right. listen to sermon from anywhere. Or like, oh, I, I really miss listening to worship. You know, like, well, get a worship CD and listen to it in your car. You're fine. Um, <laughs> and I know worshiping yeah. together in a group is so much better. And I get that. But like, go to like a, the next time Jesus Culture did a conference or something. I don't know. Like, you know, like, you don't have to go to a church, you know. Um, but yeah, it feels like there is that back and forth. Like, did you, did you feel feel towards the beginning as you were kind of like um did you feel like this was going to happen you said you kind of almost in the past had felt like you might you know leave the church but then you got pulled back in mm -hmm. like as you were forced to kind of not attend church you, you maybe had an option for zoom or facebook live or yeah. something like did you feel that coming did you did you kind of like embrace it did you kind of like try as hard as you could not to leave like what was that like for you I, I I don't know if I saw it quite coming, um, but I think this time I was more ready to embrace it. I think in the stages of life I was in before, um, you know, there were other things happening or things that were more of a priority that I didn't have the um, mental energy, perhaps, and emotional energy <laughs> to mm. deconstruct. Um, so part of me feels like it kind of happened to me. Like, I I don't really feel like I chose it. Um, and I don't think you can, not that you can make other people choose anything, but I don't think you can make people deconstruct. Right. Like, it kind of just happens. Um, but I do, I do, uh, you know, unfortunately resonate with that um, idea of either the church and or God being abusive. And I think that's part of why a lot of people keep coming back. And I say that in no way to minimize the actual, you know, abuse that we know is happening in exactly, domestic yeah, violence relationships. But I also think there's a lot of abuse, spirit, you know, spiritually or psychologically that's happening that's not accounted for and isn't quantified right now. And so I think, you know, later on down the road, we will see, oh yeah, like there are serious effects to this for certain people, you know, for some people can go to church and have no problems and yeah. not, um, you know, register the same sermon as traumatic as other people do. Um, but yeah, I, that was a big moment for me. And when I was in therapy, I think I had been in therapy for a couple months at the time when I realized I was like, Oh, like I've been in an abusive relationship, um, with mm. God for the past, you know, 10, 15 years of my life. Like, he makes me behave a certain way or he won't love me. He makes me dress a certain way or he won't love me. He makes me, you know, say prayers and do certain things with my time. I don't get to be in charge of my time. You know, my time and my body aren't mine. They're his. Mm. Um, and they're all dependent um, on how he feels about me the day I come to the gates. If I've done enough and if I've said the right prayers um, and I could have done all that you know, that he wanted me to do and it's still not be good enough. And I still burn mm. forever. So, I mean, to me, that's pretty abusive. Um, I yeah. think after that, I realized that I, I did make a post about it. It's been quite some time now. Um, but something along the lines of like, if a friend treated me the way I perceive God to treat me, I wouldn't allow them in my life. I would never mm -hmm. accept that from a friend or relative, you know, policing my behavior like that and 
Um, you know, because we like to think of God as like loving, but that wasn't really, I, I was taught a distorted view of love, I would say. And mm. so that's what makes it definitely feel abusive and why I, you know, it would be really difficult to go back. Um, and I think, you know, there's a confusing, I mean, there's a confusing relationship between like God and Jesus and they're the same, they're different. Um, but once I realized, you know, you know, that, that was abusive for me and I have a lot of traumatic, you know, experiences in like in my body related to the doctrine itself, you know, nobody touched me or anything, but it, in my body, I can feel, you know, those trauma responses related to certain messages. And once I realized that that was tied to God and that was tied to Jesus and that I have been trying and trying and that, that cannot be redeemed for myself and a lot of other people. Mm. That's when I realized like that Jesus is not universal truth. Mm. You know, you can still say, you know, Jesus is truth for X, Y, Z people, or, you know, they, they believe that and it works for them, but like to claim, you know, that a God or superior being that has so much trauma tied to it for a lot of people and abuse is, you know, God, I mean, you can't really quite claim that unless you're going to deny abuse and victim blame people and say, well, you know, if you prayed hard enough, like you'd be able to get over this, like, because Jesus is God. It's like, okay, well, if you just, you know, listen to a victim and say, (laughs) like, oh, I could see, you know, how that wounded you in your experience. Like, I respect your journey and I'm still going to believe what I believe, but I also respect your, you know, journey in that that would not be healthy for you to return Mm. to, you know, a quote unquote abusive relationship. It's a a lot clicked for me when I put those two together. Yeah. It's, it's really hard though, because like you said, Mm -hmm. if you know, the church does do that. Pastors do do that. Your Christian friends, your family do do that, right? They do go, Oh, well, I need to now just invalidate your experience or somehow just check out or just not engage or not hear what you're saying at all um because to really listen and go gosh that sounds abusive and you're right you need Mm -hmm. to find a better solution it on some level to me as a conventional christian who's looking for that certainty in that black and white world and make sure that i'm in the right side and not the wrong side by acknowledging your reality your truth your experience as potentially having a path that doesn't match mine i am totally and utterly screwed right i mean i am a hundred percent on the path to hell then if there is a a path outside of this that's right um because i need a nice simple in out right wrong and so if i accept that your your path into wrong might be right well then my right is probably wrong um and that's just (laughs) yeah that's so hard to navigate like you said you can't make people deconstruct you can't make someone that's in that Mm -hmm. conventional way of thinking um start to think more logically and rationally from a place where at least we consider it to be logical or rational the problem is of course they think they're logical and rational right but it's like right using two completely different languages Right. So they're ration. They look at us and go, well, they're not being rational. And we look at them and go, that's not rational thought. Um, It's, it's, it's just hits, you know, against each other over and over and over again. 
Yeah. Um, I know when you mentioned um, when you first started posting about your journey, you did it on your own account. Um, mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Did you, you know, you, you, you got kind of a surge of people kind of like maybe not too happy with your experience. Did, did you talk to them? Do you try and engage with them? Do you try and change people's minds? Do you try and get people to see the truth? Obviously you had some wonderful connections with maybe older friends that had come out of the woodwork and gone, oh gosh, I've been going mm-hmm. through this for a while. You're going to be okay. It's amazing. Like that must be very encouraging to have. I know a lot of people yes. don't necessarily have that. That's one of the downsides, of course, if you don't um, have a process of telling people that you're going through deconstruction is you don't get that support of other people who are hiding kind of secretly message you going me too don't tell anyone but <laughs> yeah. i think we're going to be okay that that must be a beautiful thing um but of course the other side of it is why people don't do this publicly it, it, it is mm-hmm. um almost certain that you're going to get a lot of other messages that are a lot less encouraging what was that like for you like how did you navigate it before you kind of shifted into a um a, a, a separate anonymous account or i don't know if it was anonymous initially but um uh yeah. might have been for like a little bit but not for very long uh because right. yeah, yeah. i did have those friends that wanted to join me so i did end up sharing it pretty pretty shortly after for those people that wanted to wanted to follow me that we could right. you know still have that connection it was hard to know what the right way to interact was i think even once I started my account, you know, I had the personal account that I started my account. There was part of me that thought, oh, like I could change people's minds or like I could bring enough information to make a difference here. And then, you know, a little bit after that, I think I, I realized, okay, this page is going to be a place for people to find community with each other and feel seen in this journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to try to change people's minds. But it was difficult with those people that uh, had beliefs to the contrary, you know, and I wasn't even posting super controversial stuff. A lot of it was just posing questions, even Um, like one post was like uh, changing church taught thought, which is like, I am bad. I am sinful to like, I am good, like like just I'm good (laughs) and like even that got some backlash from people and you know there were a couple people that um you know would comment on my posts and would you know ask me how am I going to have any morals like how am I going to know what's right anymore right and um and and or just ignore me to like Mm. I still remember an interaction with somebody who used to be a pastor at um, the church I grew up with up in and he was having a conversation with somebody on you know on Facebook and I, I put myself in there just totally ignored everything I had to say and just commented back to the other person and it's like oh, okay yeah so you you know those beliefs come through about women and about women's voices and anybody who's saying anything contrary to the message that you know we were given and so yeah, it didn't feel good to think, to experience the extreme doubt people had mm. about my ability to still be a good person. Yeah. When I wasn't even like declaring, like, I wasn't like, I'm not a Christian anymore. Like, it wasn't even right. that. Like, it was just like, like, I got some questions and I kind of want to explore them. Like, I think this is important. Like, and some of it was the statistics you shared about like how many people leave the church every day. I'm like, if, because a lot of Christians did follow me on my personal page. I'm like, 
if this many people are leaving every day, like we are missing something y'all like Mm. we are like, there's something going on, but you know, I got blocked by a couple people and I was just like, man, it's, it's just not worth it to like, for me to put my energy there because also like, I don't think I've been there as in I responded in the way they did on a social media platform, but like I've been there in the way of thinking and Mm. it's just, it's hard. Like, cause it's just not, you're not going to make any progress Um, because it doesn't allow, you know, that way of thinking doesn't allow for there to be another, another way besides their way. That's okay. Right. And so I think as much as it was difficult to leave that type of thinking, it was also helpful because I know how all of those people commenting or, you know, posting rude things back to me. I know how they're operating because I used to be that person too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, well done, honestly, because it probably took me about five years to learn that one. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you got through that quite quick, that one. Uh, maybe I'm just exceptionally slow and you got through it at a normal pace of time. I don't know. But uh, it's really hard, right? When when you when you're trying to figure things out yourself, and you're maybe posting a thought here or there or whatever, and people come back and they get really defensive, it's really hard not to immediately feel defensive in return and Absolutely. feel like, well, I'm gonna give you a, a a reason why you're wrong and why my initial post was right, mm-hmm. or I'll answer the question you asked that you don't really want an answer to. You just want to prove me wrong. And for everyone to look at your question and go, oh, yeah, you're right. Julie's probably going to become a rapist now. She doesn't read the Bible as inerrant. Like, it's like, <laughs> probably not. But uh, well, that's weird that you think that. Like, you, you can't fathom that Julie could have any morals because she doesn't think a Bible is inerrant. Like, not even saying right. she doesn't read the Bible anymore yet. Like, you know, I mean, not even saying. Right. I wasn't even going that far. <laughs> whatever. Right. It, but it's just like they jump to like, well, how will you not murder people? And it's like, the same way everyone else doesn't like most people right. don't murder people <laughs> like right like you can tell like in your in your body like you can tell when something feels wrong to do and but we get so disconnected from that intuition and that inner voice or inner knowing whatever you want to call it when right. we're in evangelicalism that it's like people also lose sight of that for themselves so they're like mm. how could you know like i don't know without these rules like so I think it's scary for them too, because they, they think if this happened to me, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. Yeah. Which is funny because, oh, maybe it's just my absolute terror of a world where that's actually true, that they, the vast majority of like fundamental evangelical conventional Christians would honestly go around murdering people if they didn't have a rule saying don't murder people from God. Like on that they're they're saying implicitly like that that's what they would be like without this bible without this rule right. without jesus saying to do that now i don't for a second believe that's true for 99.9 percent of christians um mostly because i just I, I knew myself like my whole life i believed that and maybe i might have said that's where my morality came from and that's where everything comes from god the bible etc but i always knew that i am completely incapable of killing someone whether there was a rule or not like i just i i, I just couldn't you didn't do it. need I just a two thousand year like, old book no. <laughs> to tell you um it, it's just incredible you know um yeah it, it, it but it highlights how impossible these conversations can be that people just cannot fathom what's happening in our heads 
Um, mm -hmm. And on some level, because we've been there, we have to on some level try and fathom what it's like to be in theirs. Like the, mm -hmm. the onus is on no matter how unfair and um, shit it is, um, the onus is on us uh, having grown beyond a position to be the one that kind of looks back on people in that place still and go, oh, this is where you're at. I'm, uh, if I'm going to talk to you, I'm at least going to talk to you where you are. And honestly, a yeah. good portion of the time, I shouldn't really be talking to you about this stuff. It's just not helpful for you. Yeah. It's not helpful for me. And I'm going to walk away. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Well done, well done, well done. Honestly, I, I think it's such a, um, it's such a brilliant um, thing to, to sort of sidestep largely um, because I got lost in the weeds for years trying to tell people how to be fundamental in a different way or um, trying mm -hmm. to answer everyone's posts and, you know, every single critical comment I'm looking at and going, oh, let me uh, look up a Bible verse there. And, oh, yeah, I could say this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sweating over like, you know, like, how will I reply to this person that I don't even know? You know, they don't even yes. follow me. They've just stumbled across a post or or I spoke to them 10 years ago and haven't spoke to them since. And I'm stressed about like, you know, what they think of my reply. And, um, oh, what a horrible way to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be really live. exhausting. It, there are a lot of was. people. Yeah, I don't know too. Like with your with your Instagram page, if you get much, you know, comments from people that aren't deconstructing. But mm. I've definitely, you know, I when I first started there too, I was more like, oh, like let's try to have a conversation. Right. And now it's more like, you know, if people DM me and ask for help or have a question, like totally happy to do that. But like, I just spend so much less time trying to prove my point yeah. than I used to because it, it is exhausting. And I find yeah. it really exhausting because I don't know if it's the lack of like nonverbal communication that happens with Instagram, mm. but like it can be for me, it really drains me sometimes when people come, I'm like, how like what tone are you saying this in <laughs> like are you right. like yeah, yeah. i'm right and you're wrong you're like well i think i'm right and it can be really hard i think so much gets misconstrued too that yeah i i've had to in order to continue my account i've had to set some of those boundaries and yeah. just either sometimes not respond like i've restricted some of my comments now and that's just so that i can keep doing it because i mean it will like affect me for a while and i think a lot of that is from I was just talking about this with a couple of deconstruction friends the other day that it's really hard for a lot of us to take feedback or disagree because, you know, we were raised in that environment where like we were constantly like had that persecution complex, like, oh, like mm. they're disagreeing with me. Like they want the worst from me. They're a horrible person. Like they're really just awful. And it's like, no, like actually they, they disagree with you, but like, it's cool. Like you can keep like live in your life. And so I think some of that lingers for a while. So it can be really difficult to try to engage in conversations where like, you know, neither of you are going to agree with each other at the end. If, if that's the scenario, like I love to have, you know, the philosophical conversations that can go on forever. And there's no point other than just like, to be curious, like, that's great. But, uh, you know, sometimes in the Instagram comments, that's not really where you're finding that. <laughs> No, it's, it's interesting. I think over the years, I've got slightly better at, at telling, but most of the time, I, I just don't even know um, whether people are asking well-intentioned, genuine questions, or if they are just wanting to have a fight. And 
it mm-hmm. usually takes a couple of replies back and forth before you go, oh, okay, oh. you just really don't know like what I mean and you just want to understand and that's great. Let me help you kind of see where I'm coming from and we can leave it there. Or, oh, you right. just want to fight <laughs> with someone on Instagram. Like you <laughs> apparently, this is my job. I do this full time. You apparently have no life. I don't even know what you do like the rest of the time, but like fighting with people on Instagram, not what I want to do. Like, you know, no. walk away. <laughs> Um, the restrict option on Instagram is game changing. It's, it's amazing it, it, for those yeah. comments and things like that. Like, yeah, it's it's. I just brilliant. discovered that not that long ago. I'm like, oh, this is this is great because you know you want to keep creating content and you want to keep meeting new people and doing yeah. stuff and um, yeah. So yeah, it's good yeah. to have some of those things to help us navigate. To, yeah, you know, this journey because obviously too, like we're not going to get it right every time no. either, and I think sometimes there's that like fundamental thought shift of like, oh, well, like I was so wrong and I did so much harm before, like now I'm just going to get it right and like be perfect every time. And it's like, well, that's not realistic either. Like, no, you know, I'm going to mess up and I'm not going to get it right. And yeah, sometimes yeah. It, people can be pretty uh, dehumanizing about that it's like oh like i'm just a human trying to learn like yeah i've got this account (laughs) you know we've got these platforms but it's like we're still like just like living and trying to yeah you're trying not to do harm now like i feel like that's kind of where i've i i I don't really know still what i where i'm gonna land or what i believe but like that's something i've tried to embrace it's like what can i do that's gonna just not harm other people and be respectful in what that means for everybody because it doesn't mean the same thing yeah. for, you know, it's, it's treating people how they want to be treated. Um, not necessarily like we were taught, like treat people how you want to be treated because I think that's how we kind of got where we are with a lot of yeah that hostility between opposing viewpoints is like, well, you should believe this or you're going to burn in hell. And it's like, well, that's not what the other person believes. And right. that's They're okay. not living their life every second of every day going, will I go to hell or not? Like, Right. That's hard to fathom when that is how you're framing everything and you are terrified. Or maybe, maybe you're at least framing like, well, I just want to do everything so I get rewarded by God and get more treasures in heaven and I get to go to heaven or whatever. So even if it's like maybe a slightly different perspective, it's still this kind of like obsessed with what is to come, um, reward, punishment kind of metric. Most people don't Mm -hmm. have that mentality. They just want to live a good life. They want to live a... A nice life they want to do good in the world they want to change the world maybe um and we're running in going you need to know you're a sinner and you need to change <laughs> and like it's it's tough and i think as well though it's hard for it's hard for people that have come out of that to accept that some people they're just not in a place not to frame the world that way and mm-hmm. they don't need um they don't need me or what I talk about or what I'm doing. Like it's the last thing yeah. they need. And actually the kindest thing I can do to them is to really succinctly in a DM say, Hey, this account is not for someone like you. If you're a happy Christian, you're content with your faith. I'm so happy for you. Go be content with your faith. If that ever mm-hmm. changes, shoot me a message. Come I'm, on I'm back. Here's a chat, but like, Honestly, you're only going to get upset and frustrated talking with me. I have no desire for you to change. I want you to be happy. And if you're happy as a Christian, you do that. Um, even that can be hard because they, they can't fathom. They need to, you know, it's, it's a mission to save us or, or to correct us mm-hmm. or whatever. I think there's a component as well in there that 
the whole like we have to have an answer for our faith we have to be able to defend our faith I think that trickles into our new place even as we start maturing and we're okay with being uncertain um it feels like there's a a pull to defend my position to to give an answer Mm -hmm. of like well no like you know it's it's okay to be uncertain it's okay to do this it's okay i want to i want people to know that i'm right or it's okay for me to be who i am or what i believe like there's still a pull to defend myself um that is slowly dying i think i'm I'm slowly allowing that to die um but yeah have have you found yourself in that place of like warring a bit between kind of like I don't know, needing to defend yourself and, and how have you kind of navigated that? Like, is that something you've worked through? Yeah, I think a lot of my journey since leaving evangelicalism has been trying to find my voice and use it. And um, which I know I've publicly been sharing, you know, my journey. So of right. course I'm using my voice, but you know, social media looks a lot different than in actual life. You know, what does that look like to stand up for myself and defend myself? And kind of like we were talking about, when is it worth my energy to to do so? And when is it better for me to say, like, I know that this is what's best for me and I'm just going to let that person, you know, be. Um, I think a lot of that defending myself has come from more of a... Um, trying to set boundaries for the first time in my life because boundaries were not a thing for me in my like former faith experience. Um, because you were supposed to be, you know, like available 24 seven in case somebody needed you to be pray with them or whatever it might be. So I think it's been more of a journey on what do healthy boundaries look like? Oh, Mm. like I can say no. And that doesn't mean I don't like the person. Uh, It can mean like, oh, like I'm just having a day and like today isn't a good day for me to talk on the phone or whatever it might be. Right. Um, And so I think learning to say no and not be like a total people pleaser uh, has been part of me like defending my own inner voice or, you know, just, yeah, just trying to have a voice in general. I think some of that comes from uh, like the church's view of women and not respecting their voices fully and not allowing them to be heard fully, um, which, you know, wasn't a hundred percent the case in my experience. I, I did have a, a woman, a pastor at the church I grew up in, but still a lot of that like complementarianism and stuff comes through yeah. and the patriarchal beliefs come through. Um, but yeah, I do think, you know, too, from like the other lens, when I was first deconstructing, there was a desire to defend myself and stand up for myself. Um, but yeah, I think that that evolved pretty quickly because you kind of have to, because a lot of people aren't going to necessarily care if like they're focused on the Christian uh, Mm -hmm. message perhaps. So I think a lot of it is becoming, you know, tied into like the self-worth for in my journey too, is like becoming more comfortable with, like my worth and myself and my voice and trying to be more content with me because I can't control any of these other people. But there is a lot of that, you know, mindset that comes through the persecution, uh, like complex of like, Oh, somebody disagreeing with me is, you know, the worst thing. And (laughs) still, even when we get to, you know, a different set of beliefs, like you said, these people don't need, need me. Like, 
we still have that savior complex too of like, well, I need to mm. save these people from this horrible belief system that they're trapped in, or, you know, this horrible spiritually abusive situation they're in. And um, which if somebody wants you to help them, by all means, we're going to help them, yeah. but you can't continue to evangelize your new beliefs because that yeah. kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, but that can be really difficult to let go because a lot of that thinking and ways of living are still just in us and we've known yeah. it for so long. It can be just so hard <laughs> to, yeah. to like, I just have to constantly check myself like, okay, like what, like what's my purpose and what's my goal here? Like, am I doing this just to like get to know somebody? Am I trying, you know, to change their beliefs because that's what we tried to do for so long you can you almost forget you're doing it (laughs) yeah no absolutely and i think there's a there's a weird line there as well because um as much as you can't make someone who's in a very different state psychologically kind of see the world from your perspective accept the things that you believe are right or wrong um that might be different to what they believe are right or wrong you can't do that um, but there is some dynamic if, if we go back to the abuse analogy, right? If someone is being abused, if someone is actively being harmed, if you can talk to your friend who's very f- fundamentally Christian, but you can see, wow, that particular theology is really harming them, though. Uh, maybe it doesn't harm everyone, but in their case, it really is harming. It does feel like there's some moral obligation to step in and try and help them see the thing whether we can Mm -hmm. make them see it or not right in the same way with um, Mm -hmm. my friend who's being abused you know i can't get him to see that this uh partner that he has is harming him um Mm -hmm. but i i kind of on some level have to kind of like in some way shape or form do something help try and intervene in some way or even um on the other end of it maybe we have friends that are in that place of conventional christianity that are harming others and so it's the hard part of like you know we we look you mentioned george floyd and the the blm stuff in in in, god well forever but like that really Mm -hmm. became very prominent for a lot of people in the last year or so like that stuff that is within the, the system of christianity the system of you know christianity inc church um is is just built on um among other things racism Mm -hmm. patriarchy uh sexism xenophobia all sorts of different things it it feels while we can't change a church to think a different way or run a different way we can't change a person to accept the way we see things there has to be some push some kind of dynamic in that Mm -hmm. that's something i wrestle with a lot and try and find a balance with like i've seen that and i know from talking to you that you're not wanting to step in and try and change people but i've also seen just in your post and the way you do like yeah you are passionate about changing these things like how have you navigated like processing those kind of two tensions and kind of trying to build a way to move forward while kind of recognizing those dynamics like What's that been like for you? Like what's working for you in that? (laughs) I think it's been important for me to try to separate the idea or the theory from the person um, so that I'm not dehumanizing the people, um, you know, like our former selves that were, you know, um, you know, not LGBTQ affirming and we're, you know, spreading homophobia through the way we were um, teaching our theology. So trying to separate out the 
idea so that people, I mean, people are still going to feel maybe not great about being challenged in their beliefs, but to realize, like, to try to let people know, like, I'm not saying you are the problem or like not trying to uh, like cancel the person. Like we're trying to cancel the harmful ideology and the harmful Mm. perhaps theology. So that I have found to be somewhat effective. It's still not, I mean, I think, you know, just even that poll, you talk about the difference between like, I need to do something uh, like I can't do nothing, but like, I don't know what to do with like, that is part of the beauty of leaving Mm. in my experience evangelicalism because it was so black and white and it was this or that and it's that that doesn't mean we have the answers on how we're supposed to move forward but it's like at least i get to like wrestle with that a little bit now and 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 perhaps mess it up a few times and realize okay like that wasn't the way to do it uh so like that can be one way to learn too it's like oh that was not effective um like i don't not I don't not that I've really done this. Like I don't find name calling to be super effective or like just saying people, you know, labeling them without really knowing what's going on. Like I don't necessarily think that makes people feel like they want to be engaged in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think try it for me, trying to connect with people, make it, you know, human to human, try to get some basic like belonging foundation level stuff going on sometimes helps. But yeah. still it's hard to know what to do because, you know, when obviously when, when somebody says something racist, like I'm going to say something like you can't say that. Right. Uh, so it's like, you know, there are times where it's like, yeah, I'm going to say something, but it, it's hard to, cause you know, you can't just change people. Um, yeah. So yeah, it can yeah. be really frustrating, but also I think what we can change is what we're willing to tolerate in our circles. And so, yeah. you know, it's like you can believe what you want, but if, if you're going to say that, like I'm not going to come around anymore. Yeah. yeah, you can't say it here. And so I think we have more power than we realize, but it can be really difficult to realize that because we feel so defeated and we feel so um, lonely and powerless sometimes without God or Jesus, you know, if, yeah. if, that if we've perhaps left that altogether or without the, even just having the numbers of the church community, like even just leaving that you feel so yeah. much more powerless. And so it can feel like you don't have any power, but you know, like, like I said earlier, it's trying to set those boundaries. Like that's a boundary. Like you can't say that when you're around me um, or trying to insert some facts, history sometimes helps too, because like in my journey, when I, when I was learning, I'm like, Oh, like I just was so ignorant to like a lot mm-hmm. of American history, especially when it comes to racism. And I was like, oh, like so many things are making more sense now that I've taken time to, you know, read about this or read about like the history of um, like the American church and racism. And so I think knowledge can be a huge, huge piece of power and boundaries, even though, you know, it's hard when you're just like people like you and me just trying to like yeah. live life. It feels like you don't really have much whole, but yeah, you also don't want to do nothing. So it can be really challenging to try to find what that looks like for you after you've left a specific way of living. Yeah, no, big time. It's it's the dynamic of you've got the racist grandma at Thanksgiving that says something and everyone's like, oh my gosh, but everyone on some level goes, we, we, we have to say something, but like, 
she's not going to change. She's like 86 and she's going to be dead in eight years and she's not going to work on this. Like, and, and so you're, you end up saying something, it ends up blowing up and you go, was it the mm-hmm. right thing to say it? Was it not? Like, is she ever going to change? Like, I don't know. Like it, it, it's such a hard dynamic to know when to say something, when not to say something, when to set up a boundary, when to go, gosh, I shouldn't even be around you. I'm, I'm out. Um, right, right. You know, these are really hard things to do. And especially um, because we have the privilege in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, uh, obviously mm-hmm. I've got a, other privileges that you don't um and maybe you have other privileges i don't, I've got I don't some, know yeah. your world I've, I've but, got some. but, but we, we all have different privileges and on some level you know um i'm a white straight cis you know male like i mean I've, I've got i live in the uk i you know i have a decent life i'm you know whatever i'm whatever you can list I'm, i've probably got most privileges kind of stacked up like it's very easy for me to go, oh, it's really important to find a balance where other people, they don't get to do that because they are in yeah. the thick of it and they are be, they are the ones receiving. You know, maybe maybe it is the, the racist grandma. I'm watching racist grandma at my Thanksgiving full of white people. Um, mm-hmm. But my racist grandma is actually being racist to her cab driver or the person at, you know, the, the store or a person at her church or, you know, whatever. You know, that that's a whole different dynamic you know and so there mm-hmm. is a component as well where there is a lot of privilege in just this conversation of like oh how, how do we navigate that and um yeah but i i do find with that pendulum swing i do tend to kind of err on one side or the other it always seems to go wrong one way or another for me but i feel like i'm getting slightly better each time maybe bit by bit um uh, maybe i'm trying to figure out something um but yeah it's 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 a tough one it's really tough because like you said we're we're still fundamental in a lot of ways right so we're still trying to find that right thing when maybe that's not how it works maybe it's a wow this person in front of me is an individual they have a very unique world and a very unique story a very unique experience a very unique way of seeing things and thinking and maybe i need to get to know them to know how to have a conversation with them um, yeah. which of course Instagram is not helpful for <laughs> it <laughs> could work quite. but it's not practically going to become you know right. you become best friends on Instagram generally <laughs> yeah I think too talking about privilege um, I think deconstructing which again you know feels like it kind of happened to me but at, at the same time it does feel like a privilege because you know, there were other points in my life where like I could not lose my faith, you know, it's like yeah. that, that is what I was clinging on to. And so I think about that sometimes too, because I have seen people in the uh, deconstruction Instagram circles talking about how it's a predominantly white space Yeah, and there aren't very many people of color. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I, I think it's a, a, a privilege. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. I don't want to no. misconstrue you know, deconstruction with being easy. Um, but I also feel like for me, and and this may not be true for everybody, but like deconstruction didn't happen for me until I was in my own home. I was married in a secure relationship. Um, you know, so I had all these things in line where it was safe for me to question all these things. And, mm. um, and because of who my partner is too, thankfully, um, deconstruction has not been a deal breaker and I know it could be in a lot of other situations. Mm. Um, so I don't, I think about that a lot too. I think, I don't know if I would have ever deconstructed if I hadn't have had the privileges I had and the psychological safety to 
dive deep into those yeah. questions. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder about that. Absolutely. Well, you know, you're saying it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be able to, you know, have the space to do it. You know, you, you would be able to do it if you were uh, a single dad with three kids, you'd be able to do it. If you had four jobs, you'd be able to do it. If right. you know, you were commuting four hours a day and like knackered and totally tired all the time. But people in a place like that, you know, maybe aren't as comfortable um, as, as you found yourself to be a year ago. Um, they don't have the mental space between everything no. that's going on. Um, you know, if you're um, black in the last year, probably the last thing you're really thinking about is like, oh, let me think about this obscure theology that slowly starts a ball rolling and it becomes an avalanche of, of you know, whatever deconstruction. You're thinking about, I really am terrified Surviving. I'm going to die every time Absolutely. I leave the house. I'm scared I'm going to get pulled over and shot just because I'm driving at the speed limit, but happen to be black and the cop might see that and decide, let's pull him over. Like, there's no mental space there for deconstruction. No. Um, and, mm. and of course, many people of color over the last year have deconstructed. You know, it, it's not as simple as that. But I do think you're right. I think there's um, there's a, a massive component of this. I think um, this in some ways plays into why part of the majority world is um, is generally across the majority world, less people are deconstructing. In fact, faith is still growing. And I think it's because a lot of people in the majority world have much harder circumstances. They are much more um, uh, living in worlds and lives where they don't have the safety, they don't have certainty, they don't have security. And Christianity or Islam or Hinduism can bring them some stability, some safety, some certainty, some security. Um, and actually, it's probably a helpful and healthy step for them and, and, and thing for them. It's a coping mechanism. It's always a coping mechanism, right? Deconstruction is our new coping mechanism because yeah. that's what helps us frame the world as we're moving forward. But I, a lot less people um, in rural India have a lifestyle which allows them to sit and ponder, you know, and, and start to deconstruct because they've got a lot of stuff. They've got very hard lives. They're working very hard lives. Um, and yet, again, mm -hmm. I actually have spoken to many people in rural India that have deconstructed on Instagram, and I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so it, it, it's a bit of both, but I do think that privilege component is huge in deconstruction. And I think a lot of it as well is um, the black church, uh, certainly in America, has over the last, gosh, 60, 100, 150 years, had to wrestle with really fucked up theology in a way that the white people didn't because they were the beneficiaries, mm. beneficiaries of that theology. And black people were those who were downtrodden by that theology. And therefore in their Christian faith, they had to unravel it. Right. So they, that's where right. liberation theology is not a white people theology, right? It's a black church theology. Um, mm -hmm. And it's because they had to deconstruct a whole host of theologies that allowed them to be slaves, that allowed them to be second-class citizens, and, and so on and so forth. And so in some ways, maybe the Black church has less um, things nudging them to deconstruct in their system of Christianity, right? Um, potentially. Um, mm -hmm. I think certainly there's certain parts of Christianity that are much more systemically broken than others, at least. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is this is good, Julia. I'm I'm, I'm loving chatting with you. I, I'm really enjoying. It. What oh, what do you see the future holds for you? Like, you know, are you are you planning on still running your account 
forever? Are you, are you seeing an end to your deconstruction? Do you, are you planning to move on or, or are you continuing to, to speak about this and, and talk in this space? You've got to keep coming along as well. Obviously, that will probably change yeah. things up. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I don't really know, honestly. I um, In that post where I shared, I was expecting it was kind of like, a, I don't really know what's, uh, what's going to happen. Um, I have made so many friends through this community and it, I mean, quite honestly, perhaps saved my life, you know, in the middle of that dread, knowing there were other people, like once I found, you know, like you, and then there were a handful of other accounts, like there are people here, (laughs) there's lots of people. And so part of me, you know, is drawn to that and that I know other people are starting their deconstruction experience today, perhaps. And, um, you know, I I think it's like an honor to be a part of that for somebody. So, you know, I do want to keep um, participating in in the community. I don't know that I'll quite have as much time or, you know, it'll probably look different. But I also think that becoming a mom and and, um, becoming a parent is going to bring up even more thoughts, I'm sure, about deconstruction and trying to find um, you know, what, what, what will the parenting style or what will, you know, like, there's just mm. so much to that, even within that evangelical handbook, handbook per se, that was like, oh, this is what you do. Um, so part of me, you know, I, I think that there's still a lot of room for it to grow, but then, you know, it might be more of a like, oh, like this week I didn't post anything and next week I'll post every day and just kind of give myself that permission to ebb and flow with, my energy Mm -hmm. instead of like expecting xyz of myself when especially when the baby comes will not be realistic but (laughs) yeah i it's hard too because i i think i was the one of the most indoctrinated people like that i know which uh maybe sounds silly but like i i feel like i was super into it and so a lot of people don't quite understand as well as everybody understands right. in this community. So yeah I'm, yeah, I'm super thankful for it. And I think it would be hard to like leave completely, but I could see myself mm. slowing down a little bit. I'm sure I'll have a lot less sleep <laughs> coming up in the next year or so. <laughs> we'll get some sleep deprived posts, but yeah. Yeah, I like Maybe, if there's typos, you know, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be sitting up at four in the morning, you know, breastfeeding or whatever is trying to type yeah. out a post. Or maybe you have more time doing that all through the night. Well, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I have, you know, my thought for the day. And so maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be more yeah. more content. That's hard who to knows? say. It, w- it will be interesting <laughs> to see. I, I, I love how many... Um, people are kind of popping up out of the woodwork that have really great insights and thoughts to share on parenting as de- as they deconstruct because i think you're right it's a really hard sh- navigation to to go through um and i think it's even harder for those that um have already well and truly started the process of parenting and raising their kids and maybe their kids yeah. are teenagers now and they have to go hey kids we don't believe in God that way or, or at all anymore. Like, and their kids have now become fundamental and they're going, what are you doing to me? I yeah. understand. You know, now I'm worried you're going to go to hell. Or, um, but I, I love that there's more and more people talking about navigating that. Like we talked as well, like, you know, so much gets deconstructed. It's not just faith. And I think parenting yeah. as a separate component has developed and grown so much in the last kind of 50 years. People, 
um, our understanding so much about how children psychologically develop, what's helpful, what's not helpful. Um, and it does feel like Christianity at times has not been the quickest on the uptake with some of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Have you got a bunch of books that you're working through trying to like crash course, get ready? <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a few. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, you'd think it, hopefully some of it will come naturally, but uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we have been doing books. this a while, a while. I know. That's what I tell um, myself. I'm like, people have been doing this for far longer um, yeah. than I have. But yeah, I think <laughs> the parenting part will probably keep me in because when my um, partner and I were looking for a daycare too, mm. um, that was interesting. I mean, like I never thought I would be the person that didn't pick a religious or Christian daycare. Like right it was like oh yeah of course i'll do that um but i we went and looked at trying to find one (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) we looked at two or three and the first one was inside of a church and it was the first time i had been inside of a church in nearly a year and i mean i'd gotten to the car afterwards and just broke down i mean there was imagery everywhere like there was white jesus there was you know crosses there was um you know like Bible verses that they make the kids memorize and they're like two. Um, so it's just like, not that they're going to memorize it, but like, you know what I mean? Like they, no. they're starting this indoctrination so young yeah. and it just like, eh, man, it just hit me so hard. I was like, whoo, this is, you know, it's going to be still continue to be part of who I am. And I'm just going to have to, um, you know, learn, learn myself and, how to navigate better. Um, so yeah, I actually started, um, trying EMDR therapy. I don't know if you've okay, yeah. heard of that, yeah. uh, to try to kind of, a lot of people of that, that have found great help with that. So. Yeah. I hadn't heard of it until like a year ago. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting so far. It's like working on memory work and your eyes move back and forth. Yeah. And I don't Do you know. Feel so, I think it is. I've only done it, you know, a few times. Um, but I think it is. And because I, I kind of need, uh, while, while I, I don't think I've had a lot of, you know, big T trauma, as they say, I have a lot sure. of adverse memories from church, um, experiences, mm. um, which at the time perhaps were not perceived to be bad. Cause it was, you know, it, I was in the church yeah. and that's where I wanted to be really bad. And so, um, but now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, like that was pretty uh, transformative, like not in a good way. Uh, So I think it's been helpful to kind of revisit those memories and, um, you know, process through them from the capacity that I have now too. Like, I think sometimes it's easier, um, you know, with, 10 years down the road, perhaps to look at something and think like, Oh, like I've got all this other life experience now. And I can look at it through that nuanced, yeah. uncertain lens. Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend, hmm. I mean, first a religious trauma informed therapist, I think is important because that wasn't my first step, um, in therapy. I just did like a, just a general therapist, um, which was still good, but like, after I got this more specialized help, I'm like, oh, this this is uh, definitely more helpful. So right. I would recommend it. So yeah, it's so yeah. it's so weird unpacking those kind of things, isn't it? Because you look at certain things were the best thing in the world at one point, and they were helpful, yeah. and they were they were maybe even a positive 
coping mechanism for something much harder you know even if you keep peeling back the layer of then you know like oh wow this thing that now i look at and think that was really harmful and probably was quite trans- right you know traumatic on some level but like actually the way it dealt with a much deeper trauma i i can see why i had to do that and now i can work on this trauma and maybe in 20 years i'll look right now and go oh my gosh like look you you did emdr and it like was actually quite traumatic but it helped you move a bit forward or i don't know i don't think it's, it's emdr it's all traumatic but um <laughs> it's, it's just so funny that we almost like i i think we're so black and white again that this is good this is bad mm-hmm. but i think sometimes that quote unquote bad thing is gooder than a worse thing um yeah. and i think we have to accept that there's a, a process um because it is really hard to look back on things that were maybe we have the fondest memories maybe we really enjoyed certain things you know um it's really hard to look back at uh your time going to christian camp and it was the funnest time mm-hmm. it was the best part of the year as a teenager and you go away with all your mates and you camp and you'd hang out and you'd like play games and you'd stay up all night and you know you'd flirt with the girls that you liked and you'd like talk with the other boys about which girl you'd fancied or you know this really fun exciting time as a teenager and yet i can sit and go oh wow but it was pretty intense and traumatic actually looking back that the leaders yeah. responded to me that way when they when I confessed this or the the topic that what week was this and it really messed me up like it's really hard for me to break that apart and go gosh it doesn't have to be all bad and it doesn't have to be all it can be good. both it can be yeah. both it's, it's that's so a weird hard. one it's so hard yeah. to make room for both especially when you think about church camp cuz i think that's such a great example right like it's definitely both. Like you've got the fun, you've got the games, you got like, you're just out in nature, like doing whatever, swimming, you're on the blob. I don't know if you ever did one uh-huh. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would never also, do one, but yeah. <laughs> I did it one time and that was enough. I flew very high. <laughs> there. Yeah, um, I'm very risk averse, like big time. So that was, not I, be I am too. I still can't believe I did it one time. Um, and I Amazing. hate heights. It was horrible. I thought I died. Oh, no, wow. I didn't. It's fine. Um, but then you've also got, you know, like some teaching maybe that night or like real looking back and realizing, Oh, like me sobbing at the end of a worship uh, session is actually like emotional and psychological right. manipulation and not me experiencing something uh, yeah. deeper, perhaps like perhaps it's just, uh, harmful for me. So it's hard to make room for both. But I think what I'm hopeful for about EMDR or or other types of therapy for people is that we can, you know, have those experiences, but then get to a place where we can still go into a church for a wedding or go into a church for a funeral and not be so consumed by what's happening in our bodies that we can still be present um, and, you know, celebrate with a couple getting married or mm you know, celebrate the the life of whomever we're there to do so for. So I think that's part of it. At least my hope is that it's like, you can get some sort of regulation back in your body too, where you're not so consumed by those memories that, you know, if you haven't been in a church, like a lot of us haven't been in a church yeah. since before the pandemic or, you know, maybe longer than that. And then you go in for the first time and it's like, oh my God, this is awful. Or you get like a sinking dread feeling or something. So for me, the the hope and goal is to be able to like not live a quote unquote normal life, but to be able to live my life in a way that I want to live and not still be affected by those experiences yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. 
No, that's great, Julie. I, I am so excited um, for all that the future has in store for you. Um, and I'm really, I, I just get stoked when I see people that are navigating this. I mean, I guess this year has been a great year for people to deconstruct in many ways. Uh, it's been a terrible year in other ways, but <laughs> I think it has given people um, kind of like um, some gasoline for their fire. It's given people for some sure. space as well to, to be processing things um it's given people a bit of safety because there's some distance you know that there's some, some great things mm -hmm. there but it, it feels like um it, it's just great to talk to you because i know i've talked to you in different stages as well in your process like yeah. for you to be enjoying yourself and and for it to be good <laughs> yeah. and for it to be great and you've got a baby along the way now and that's amazing as well and yeah. uh, it's just very very exciting and i'm excited to see how you know but why do you believe that transforms and grows and develops and and the new nuances it takes on um i can't wait for you to talk to us about how becoming a parent is affecting how yeah. you're processing and growing and developing because i talked to a lot of people where actually the trigger for them deconstructing was not theology it was not other things it was literally i became a dad a mom just that was sure. enough to trigger a whole bunch of changes so i'm sure you have a whole bunch of new things to explore when you uh when you step into that world i'm not a, i'm not a parent yet so i don't even know i'm not even gonna pretend to know um but yeah uh, i'm sure yeah. you're gonna have a great time but yeah thank you so much so if people want to connect with you what's the best ways to do that instagram and yeah, twitter on instagram that... yeah instagram yeah. is probably the best way i'm on twitter a little bit but mainly instagram that's the best way okay. wonderful best way to and reach it's me but why but why do you believe do you that, believe that? Um, and I think the Twitter is, but why do you believe? Or yeah, no, but why, but do, you why BT? do you BT? Because it was too long. <laughs> apparently, uh, I was going to say it is a long handle. It is yeah. a it's a mouthful. But you know, at the time, I was just feeling pretty sassy, and it was like, but why? That's good. But, <laughs> but why, why do you, do you believe, you believe that? You know, and yeah, a lot yeah. of people don't have a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't. We really don't. I think that's no. a, a really fun one, isn't it? Just to ask um no absolutely well julie i really appreciate it this is gonna come out this thursday um because i've been away for a week awesome. on holiday and i'm uh, gonna bash it straight out so uh, I'll, I'll let you know and I'll, I'll tag you and everything when it comes out but uh it's been Sounds really good. really fun chatting um sorry yeah, if i've likewise. yawned a couple of times you have not bored me i'm just no. it's late and i'm tired so um uh, yeah but, uh, it's been really really fun and i, I always enjoy to chat and uh, yeah likewise. i'll let you know when it comes out all right thank you all right love you julie catch you later all right. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Julie from But Why Do You Believe That? So you can check her out on Instagram. It's just But Why Do You Believe That? Um, on Twitter, it's But Why Do You BT? Um, they're a bit stricter on the character count, apparently. Um, do shoot her a message. You know, tweet her, DM her on Instagram. Let her know that you enjoyed this conversation. Make sure you're following her. She's posting great stuff um i'm sure it would mean the world to her to to hear from people and, and know that people enjoyed her conversation here um shoot me a message if you ever need someone to talk to like i said i'm a bit less active um recently because of some health stuff um but i'm replying to all my dms still i just maybe take a few extra days um i, I will get back to you it's really important to me that you have someone out there that you can talk to that you can connect with that can walk with you through this journey of deconstruction there's no reason to do it alone there's so many great people out there people like julie um, people like myself there's loads of people out there that want to help you and support you in this journey um, and so do reach out if you need to i'm just phil drysdale on instagram um, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com like we talked about at the beginning um, it's a completely free resource to try and connect with other people in your local area 
um, that are going through this process as well. That can be a huge game changer for so many. Um, and if you want an online community, you can um, join our Patreon and join our Discord online community. We do audio messages, video messages. Um, we also do um, chat day in, day out on Discord just um, via texts and stuff and group chats. And uh, that can be really helpful to have a, a safe space online to process all sorts of different um, stuff in life to have a, a community that kind of gets what's going on. Um, there's so many different people in so many different places, no matter where you are in your deconstruction journey, you'll probably find some kindred spirits on there. And so it'd be great to have you on there. And of course it helps me, um, do what I do full time for free. Um, and so by supporting me on Patreon for as little as five bucks a month, what you're doing is you're allowing me to be able to talk with people for hours on end to help them process. You're allowing me to put out these resources, videos and podcasts for free. Um, so that anyone who isn't in a place to maybe buy a resource or a book about deconstruction or um, you know a course or whatever else is out there, um, they can access something like that for free. Um, and so I really appreciate that. I appreciate every one of you. I so um, value um, all your loving and kind messages that you've been sending me over the last little while while I've been struggling with my health. Um, I really do appreciate you all. Um, I, I appreciate your patience as dropping back down to one podcast a week, um, me being a little less active online. Um, it does mean the world to me that you all are there for me um, and that you give me the space to be able to take things a little easier, focus on my health um, and not worry that everyone's angry or disappointed with me or anything like that. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, that's enough from me. I love you all. I so appreciate you all. I hope you're well. Grace, peace, love, everything to you, my friends. Cheerio.